0: This morning, my heart is to speak to something very specific as it pertains to life. Uh, I think that sometimes life takes place and we forget that even as Christians, we were not promised, we were not guaranteed that life would be perfect after our salvation. Life can be difficult even for a saved person. Uh, There are trials, there are temptations, there are tribulations. There are difficult things that come in the life of believers. And for some folks, there has happened some very specific particular things that have hurt you. If you've ever been offended before in this building, anyone in this building, if you've ever been offended before, I want you to raise your hand. Wow, there's some people in here that have never been offended before. we got to have coffee this week. If you've lived long enough in this world, in this life, even around Christian people, I might add, as a safe person, there is a good chance at some point you're going to get your feelings hurt. There's a good chance that your feelings getting hurt or your offense could come even at church. Oh, no. I thought church people were perfect people. No, we're simply sinners saved by grace. We're all struggling. We're all growing. We're all needing desperately to do what the Bible says and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Human conflict is just part of human existence. I can remember the first grade, I was in Miss Shreve's class at Asheville Christian Academy at the old campus in East Asheville, near, near the East Asheville pool. And I can remember even as far back as first grade, there being conflict, there being struggle, there being offenses, even in the first grade. Who can remember, now don't lie, you're at church, but who can remember the first grade? <laughs> a lot more than I thought. <laughs> the first grade, conflict. I remember that in this incredible class, Ms. Shreve was a wonderful teacher, I remember her vividly, that not every student in that class got along. Not every student in that class were friendly. And there were even times where lining up to go to recess, the cute little blonde-headed girl in your first grade class that you've already decided is going to be your wife will say something that will absolutely devastate you. I've been there. I'm a survivor. She said something along the lines of, well, you're the biggest kid in class. And at the first grade, that's like someone shooting at you. I go home, and I'm thinking my dad's going to call her mom and her dad and my teacher, and they're going to get this thing right. I go home to our little house on Clinton Avenue. I sit in the living room. I'm crying. I'm all upset. I say, Dad, you won't believe what this girl said. And he said, well, son, she's right. You are the biggest kid in your class. (laughs) It's time for supper. You want some spaghetti? I said, yeah. You got any bread? But in the first grade, that was devastating. How dare she embarrass me in front of my my whole class and point out that I'm, you know, three times bigger than any of them. Devastated. And I was offended. And instead of me responding correctly and moving on, At that moment in my life, in the first grade, I decided right then and there that that cute little blonde-headed girl that was supposed to be my wife, that I was now going to declare all-out war on her. And she paid dearly for her mistake. Nothing was off limits. Her mama, her daddy, her uncle with the limp, all of it was on the table. Vicious. Attacks. And she lived tough to about the third grade because of that one mistake. And you, that's funny and it's, it's hilarious to think about now, but there are some things that take place in the first grade as human beings that never really change. Some of those same responses to people who offend us, who hurt us, some of those elements of just being a human being, some of that that we learn and that we're exposed to and that we feel for the first time in the first grade, some of that truly never changes. Some people are still in the process of growing up and we're all in the process as saved people of growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. You will get hurt in this life. It's inevitable. Jesus even said in Luke chapter 15 that offense was inevitable. It would come. You cannot live in this life without offense taking place. You will get offended. It's part of the fall. It's part of the curse that we are fallen people with fallen intentions, fallen motivations, and fallen emotions. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, we say it once a week around here, he said what? The human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. That's who we are as people. And we are easily offended. We are emotional creatures. We want to be liked. We want to be respected. No one wants to be treated like a junkyard dog. Amen? When you go, I don't care if you go to the Ritz Carlton and you go and you check in there, you want the person behind that desk to be friendly, to be welcoming and cordial because you paid over $300 for that room. But I want the same respect and I want the same cordial response that I get at where I stay down at the Holiday Inn Express and I paid $89 or did it on points. I still want someone to be friendly, to treat me with respect. But if you've lived in this world long enough, especially in today's culture, that's not what you're going to get most of the time. But Christians, Christians, if you're saved here today, say amen. Amen. If you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, you belong to Jesus, you are called to live differently than the world does. Do you know that? Do you know that you're called to respond differently even to things that are offensive, even things that are wrong, even unjustness that comes to you? You are to respond differently to it. Christians are called to be above the ebb and the flow, the going back and forth, the knee-jerk reaction of human life. We are called to be above it and to respond not in human form or in human nature, but in the nature of our Redeemer, in the nature of the new man as a Christian. You are called to respond to an offense as a Christian. You're called to do it differently than even the world does and the truth is there are a lot of people in here. There are a lot of people that are watching on the E Church today, and someone has offended you. Someone has hurt you. Someone has maybe even caused physical harm and pain to your life. Someone maybe has lied upon you. Someone has maybe said things to other people that they had no business telling. You told them something in the utmost confidence. You gave them one of the most tender, precious places of your heart. And you gave it to them in the confidence that they would not reveal it. And within an hour, they had revealed it to 10 people. And they hurt you. They devastated you. They broke your trust. They broke your heart. And they have offended you. There are some of you that as a child, you had a parent who was abusive to you, who yelled and screamed and struck you in the face in drunk tirades or in in a drug abuse existence that included abuse for your life. Some of you have been offended in ways that we cannot even describe in mixed company. There has come a great offense to you in your life. Jesus said they would happen. Jesus said they would come and living long enough in this life, you know that to be true. But if we as Christians are gonna do what the Bible tells us to do, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, and if we as a church are going to be the church that our city, our county, our state, and our world needs us to be, then we have to be continually growing. We have to be continually uh, developing our spiritual walk. I do not want to be the same way I was last week in my walk with the Lord. I don't want stagnant water to set up in my pond. I want it to be a flowing river of growth and self-inspection. I want to know more about Jesus and I want to live and display Jesus better than I did yesterday, today. But the truth is some folks, even good godly Christian people, there has come to your life an offense, a pain, a struggle. And that pain, that struggle, that offense has become an anvil that will not allow you to move. You cannot grow and you cannot understand more if you do not move towards what you need. You're never going to learn anything about history unless you move from here, walk over there and pick up the history book and learn it. But some folks are so consumed with the offense that came against them, with the hurt and the pain that happened to them, that they've allowed it to become an anvil that keeps their feet firmly planted. They're not moving, they're not growing, they're not developing, and it's causing them strife. It's robbing them of peace and joy. Sleepless nights are taking place because of this one incident, this pain, this hurt. And some of these pains and some of these hurts could be that they're 10 or 15 or 25 years old. It doesn't mean that someone just offended you last week. There could be something that your father or your mother who is already in heaven or in eternity did that still to this day keeps you from moving, from growing. There's one solution to these problems, these pains, and these hurts. There's only one way that you're able to move past the pain and the hurt, the offense. I'm not going to offer any suspense. I'm not going to build this up. But the reason you can't move on, the real reason that you can't go forward is because of the absence of forgiveness in your life. There is no gray area. There is no backdoor deal to be made. The only way a Christian person can move past the offense, according to God's word, is by forgiving the offender. Forgiving the offender. Christians must learn what it is to be able, be ready, and be easy to forgive someone. It's the real reason you can't move on in your life. Is because you have chosen not to forgive. It's the only antidote for your painful past, it's forgiveness. Let's look to the nature of our God for just a moment. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Lord for not dealing with me the way I deserved. Amen. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The character and the nature of the God that you are called to emulate, that you are called to be a representative of is to be one that forgives. Psalm 130, three through four. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Notice that fear of God, fear of the Lord, is mentioned here in tandem with forgiveness. And it's to say this, people who have received the forgiveness of God should then be people who embrace and embody and live in the fear of God, the respect of God, the admiration of God. If you've been forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, you're saved, blood-bought, and born again. Say amen and raise your right hand. I am. Did you know that I've been forgiven? God has forgiven me. And because he has forgiven me, I now fear him and respect him because I realize that I do not deserve what he did. I have people sit in my office or sit around a table and share their story, their past. I hear it quite often. And some of these stories are are terrible stories, horrific tragedies that took place in a life, a great transgression that came against a family member, a friend, a lifelong acquaintance that you would have never expected to do what they did. And the, 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 the offense is so grievous, it's so hard to even hear that what comes next usually is easy to identify with. I hear these horrible stories, I hear the horrific deed that has been done to someone, and then I'll hear it followed up with this. Well, see, that's why I can't forgive them, Pastor. That's why I can't really move on past this, Pastor. It's too hard to even think about. It's too hard to even process. I can't even go there with them. But see, we as human beings are easy to forget the God who did what he did for us. And we bring things back down to a human level and a human understanding. And that's where things get messy. See, Christians are called to be different and to be willing to forgive. And it's easy to identify with some of these stories, but then we are called to be different. And that's where we'll find the contrast between what's easy to do as a human being and what the Bible offers as our roadmap and our guide. There's a great contrast into what feels good and what the Bible says. That's the the painful part of this. I know that I can cut that person off for the rest of my life and never talk to them, never weep when they die, never go to their funeral, absolutely ignore their existence, and it'll make me feel good. But Jesus says, if you belong to me, you're called to forgive Let's look at a few things really quickly because this is so important. This is practical, but I think it's so important for our church and development as we move forward. There's a few things that forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not disregarding an offense. Forgiveness is not disregarding an offense. If someone offends you, if someone hurts you, if someone causes you pain, don't be the person that quickly says, ah, it's okay, no big deal. It's all right. Let's just move past it. It's fine. Let's just move on. That is not forgiveness. That is minimizing the offense. And what begins to happen, that's a pattern with people. And, And it may be that we confuse being a peace Maker and a peacekeeper with being passive. God's not called us to be passive. God has called us to stand on truth and for what is right. But forgiveness is not the offendee being minimized in what happened rather than simply addressing the problem. The only solution is forgiveness. Minimization does nothing, and it's a very dangerous pattern. When people come into a room with you, maybe you're in a break room or maybe you're at school or at work or maybe you're around a family table. Uh Uh-oh, gonna get quiet. Maybe you're around a family table and you've got that one individual in the family, that one person. And that person knows how to get under your skin like they've got a PhD in annoying you and driving you crazy. And at first it's harmless and it's okay. It's just banter between the family. But then they cross the line. And you're reaching for your concealed carry, (laughs) realizing you've left it in the car because you're at a family function. And you're offended. And they know they've offended you. They know that they've hurt you. And they know that maybe they've even embarrassed you in front of other people around you. And you'll have to be careful with this because a lot of offenders are really good at minimizing their offense. And they'll, as they're finishing the joke that you were the butt of, as they're finishing the joke that you were the center of, taking advantage of their relationship with you, they'll go, oh, I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And you're thinking of a way how you're going to jerk their arm off and beat them half to death with it. (laughs) It's going to be funny then. That's me uh, growing in the grace and the knowledge. (laughs) Growing in the grace, growing in the knowledge. See how fast? But that's not forgiveness. They're taking advantage of the relationship and the familiarity, and they're saying, It's all right, I was just playing, I didn't really mean that. And they still got that grin on their face that you're thinking about picking up that platter and wiping off their face. Boy, it's a violent family dinner this morning. But we've all been there. Don't minimize the offense. That's not forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness is not an instant restoration of trust. Forgiveness is not an instant restoration of trust. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Say that with me. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Now in French, Okay, nobody. They're not the same thing. These are two different things. Trust may take years to rebuild. Forgiveness is instant. Forgiveness is by grace. Because the truth is, I didn't deserve the forgiveness that I got, and neither does the person that is offending you. The grace and the mercy is to forgive, but the trust is built by works. That takes time, it takes effort, and you can spend a lifetime building trust and investing in a relationship, and one moment and one slip and one foulness of humanity can destroy the trust that years have gone into building. And when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that the trust is simply restored to its full potential, to its full reality. It could be that for the rest of your life, that trust has to be rebuilt. Forgiveness is not an instant restoration of trust. Thirdly, forgiveness is not resuming without rebuilding. Forgiveness is not resuming The relationship with a person without rebuilding what was broken. And this is why a lot of people are afraid. Listen now. Listen now. A lot of movement this morning. Allow this to help you. Forgiveness is not resuming without rebuilding. A lot of people are afraid to forgive someone because they think attached to forgiving them is the access to their personal life. And some folks say, well, if I forgive them, that that means I'm back in this dysfunctional, painful, maybe even dangerous relationship. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you looking at that person, telling that person that they're forgiven. But there are some boundaries that come with the offender. If someone breaks in my house and steals my stuff, I can forgive them, but I promise you if I see them back at my house, I'm going to be on guard. There's boundaries and there's fences that have to go up and it takes time. The the offender has to do three things. There has to be repentance, there has to be restoration, and there has to be rebuilding. We're not focusing on the person who is offended. We're focusing on the person who has been offended. It takes time. But forgiveness is not simply resuming without rebuilding. But why should I forgive them? Why? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where humanity struggles. You don't realize what they said. You don't realize what they've done. You don't realize how they hurt my children. Do you realize that person robbed me of my savings? Do you realize that person, we went into business together to make money so our families could live and thrive and they wronged me, they lied to me and now it's a broken shell. How can I forgive them? I'm glad you asked. Three ways you can know to forgive. Let me give you two of them this morning. Number one, because Jesus forgave me. Winston, why can you forgive other people? Because Jesus forgave Winston. Jesus forgave me. Okay, hold on now. Who is Jesus? The son of God an equal part of the Trinitarian Godhead, a holy, righteous man who was perfect and sinless, who was all God and all man, the God of the universe, of creation, who spun off moons and stars, who has never messed up, who has never had an infraction. This same God forgave Winston, who was broken, who was a sinner, who was damned and who could not fix his own problem who knowing full well when he paid the price for me he knew what he was getting and yet he chose to forgive me no matter what happens to you in this life no matter what harm comes to you no matter what offense comes to you there will never be a greater offense than the offense of mankind of humanity towards a holy God You think you have felt offended before? Imagine being God the Father in heaven and Adam and Eve who have been given this utopia of perfection. Sin against God. In rebellion, they break his heart. Imagine the weight and the feeling and the energy that was released in that moment that Eve and Adam sinned against God. Now think for a moment of the sin in your life that's been forgiven if you're saved. And you have to remember, you're in the Bible. If you're part of the church, you're in the Bible. You're mentioned by name. If you are saved, born again, and you belong to Jesus, you're mentioned in the Bible. But also your sin was mentioned in the Bible. Every last sin you would ever commit, that moment when Jesus gave up the ghost, the wrath of God is poured out on him. What he was pouring out on was Winston's sin. Number one, why can I forgive? Because Jesus forgave me. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be ye kind, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. This reminds me of that verse in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ Himself loved the church and gave himself for it. Christians, Be sweet. Be kind. We could take that verse and preach for three and a half years. Be kind. Be kind one to another. Treat each other with respect. Well, I don't like what he's doing. Well, be kind about it and tell him like Jesus would. I don't like how she looked at me. Well, maybe you had a booger on the end of your nose. (laughs) And she was trying to get your attention and help you out. Well, I never. Be kind. Just be kind. We went to the marriage conference in Myrtle Beach, and Miranda had the honor and the privilege of picking where we were going to have our Friday night dinner I'm thinking, oh, we're going to go maybe to Outback or Longhorn. She takes me to this place with Pam and Chris Ledford called Peaches. Who knows what Peaches is in Myrtle Beach? Yeah. Awesome food. Great food. Had to barbecue. The waiters behind the counter, one was a Jordanian college student. He was maybe 21, 22 years old. And there were two other young girls in their 20s. I couldn't quite tell where they were from, and I heard their accent, and we were talking to the cook as he's making our food, and he says, those two girls over there, they're from Romania. He said it. And I talked about the camp that Trinity has been able to help there. thats housing refugees from the war and I showed her some pictures that had been sent to me from the camp and showed her on the map where that camp was. And she took her phone and she got excited and she zoomed into the place where her little town was, 30,000 people, right in the middle of the Transylvania section of Romania. Beautiful. And I asked her, I said, have you had a good time here in America? Have you enjoyed it? She was a student on a student visa getting ready to go home in a week. And she looked at me. Now remember, this girl's working in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We're right there near the Bible Belt where all that incredible moving of God has taken place in the 80s and the 90s. And she looked at me and she said, well, I'm ready to go home. And I said, I'm sure you are. I I can't imagine being away from home and and, and I, I would love to, to to think that I'd be ready to go home, too, no matter how good the place was. And I'm trying to set America up like, hey, you know, it's America. You're gonna miss us, right? You're gonna miss what God's given us, right? And she said something, and it, it, it literally ruined my meal. I couldn't eat the rest of what I had on my plate, and I had to stand up and walk off for a minute. But she said this. She said, I was surprised at how the people... Talk to each other. She said, I work at the NASCAR go karts and I work here at night to make extra money. And she said, I can't believe how people talk to me in this country. She said, I can't believe how rude people are. She said, I thought that America was this really incredible place where people were happy and they had all the money and they were blessed. My head hung. Low. and I said well honey not everybody in this country is like that I said there are still some people who love Jesus who know how to be kind and know how to represent him you see it's not about the red the white and the blue it's about do you know Jesus personally and how are you living it out displaying it it's Very difficult to embody some of this and embrace it. Be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Number one, because Jesus forgave me. Number two, because bitterness will kill me. I have to forgive because if I don't, bitterness will kill me. It'll kill me. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. When you choose not to forgive, You are empowering not only the person that has offended you, but you are creating a soft spot in your heart that the enemy can use to attack over and over and over and over. And there's a lot of good godly people that have been faithful to church all of their lives, but the reason they're not growing, the reason they're not happy, the reason there's no peace is because they're bitter. Something took place that broke them, crushed them, and they've yet to move on. And if they're not careful, that's exactly where where they will die and go to heaven from. When they did not have to. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to continue to live in that revolving door of pain and pressure, depression, anxiety, being robbed of sleep and joy. There is a way out. And the only way that happens is through forgiveness, Bitterness will kill you. Carrying a grudge against someone is like taking a shotgun and loading it with buckshot and shooting your left foot and hoping that the recoil hurts the person that hurt you. Guess what? It won't. Your foot's going to be mangled. You're going to be really stuck where you're at. And they have not felt a thing. Bitterness. Medical research time and time again has shown that the most unhealthy emotion known to the human being, to the human body, is bitterness and resentment. Science proves this. And when you hold bitterness in your heart, no matter how strong the offense, no matter how bad it hurts you, it's like you're allowing a cancer to grow in your heart without any treatment without any intervention. And eventually, it will kill you. And Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan River. He's there at Bethabara. John, his cousin's there. He's getting ready to baptize the Son of God. The voice of God the Father's there, right? The Son's there in the flesh. And then how was the Holy Spirit represented that day at his baptism? By the dove, right. Why would God... Assign the dove to be the representation of the Holy Spirit. There's many things there, but there's one thing in particular you need to know about a dove. Everybody in here is born with a gallbladder. A gallbladder. A gallbladder is a little pouch-like container that lives in the right upper quadrant of your abdominal cavity. And it possesses inside a, a nasty little fluid called bile. And bile breaks down the food that you eat. The fattier the food, the more bile that your liver needs to produce to put in the gallbladder in the little container so that it can break down the food and put it in like a piston into your gut so it breaks down the food. The human body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Incredible how the Lord has our system aligned. But that dove is one of the only creatures on the planet that is born without that container to store bile. Bile is bitter. Bile is putrid. If you've ever smelt bile, you'll never forget what it smells like. It's one of the most pungent things the body possesses. And if your gallbladder is infected and if you have a gallstone that gets out of hand and it abscesses or leaks that bile, that nasty putrid fluid into your body, do you realize that if it's not treated, if it's not tended to, that it can literally kill you? sepsis will set in, multi-system organ failure will take over and it won't just be that your gallbladder's sick, it'll attack your heart, it'll attack your lungs, it will attack your mind and your body will literally turn off homeostasis and die if that bile is allowed to leak into the body. But the dove does not even possess the container to hold the bile, to hold the bitter Fluid And Christians, when the new man is born, we are called again to be above the things that offend us, above the things that hurt us, above the things that even cause us pain. And we are to remove the gallbladder of spiritual man and put away the bitterness and put away the hate and say, I forgive you. The only solution to whatever whoever did what to you is to forgive them, to forgive them. And a lot of people are living their life with something deeply rooted in their heart. And it's abscessed and it's infected. And it's not just that it's that one thing, but it's killing your entire body. The reason you feel the way you feel, the reason you can't have any joy, the reason you come in here week after week and can't worship or raise a hand or shed one single tear is because the real reason you can't move on is because you've not yet forgiven. You say, Well, that's me. That's me. I am bitter, I am broken, I am hurt. Let's close with this. If you want to get past the bitterness, if you want to be able to forgive, if you want to set yourself up to be able to forgive that person, to get rid of this bitterness, you have to, number one, relinquish your right to get even. Relinquish your right to get even. If you're looking for the place to wrong the right by doing a wrong, two wrongs never make a right. Relinquish your right to get even. Forgiveness is never fair. But Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Be quick to forgive, but relinquish your right to get even. Secondly, remember God's purpose for your life. You have to take the focus off of the incident and then put the focus on something else. You have to replace the focus. If you are consumed with a hurt, if you are consumed with a pain, if the bitterness is what you think about first when you wake up and it's the last thing that consumes you as you go to bed, you'll have to replace that with something. Focus on what God has done for you. The purpose that he has for your life. For a lot of people, often purpose is driven from self-worth. People with low self esteem or low regard for themselves are often in a free fall and they feel that there's no purpose for them to stand on. Remember who you are. You may be hurt, you may be crushed, the offense may have changed your entire life, but you still belong to Jesus and He still has a purpose for your life. And lastly, Miss Angie, you can help me as we close. Miss Heather, I'm sorry. And lastly, I want you to embrace this. This is where it's the most difficult. You see, it's easier to preach this message than it is to live this message. Number three, respond to evil with good. Respond to evil. Respond to the offense with good. The greatest example I've ever had of this in my life is our Pastor Emeritus. Really. Some of you know intimately responding to evil with good. I have sat in services in that old building where other preachers from other states he would change up something, do something differently that didn't really fit into their MO, their box the way they thought it should be done. And back then, you didn't have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but you had chatty mouths that did what they did. And he would hear about it, you know, hey, so-and-so's just absolutely ripping you apart behind your back. You you want me to handle it? You want me to say something? No, 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 don't worry about it, it's okay. We'll take care of it. And then... (laughs) Three months later would be Jubilee time, and you'd look at the schedule, and there's that booger that's been talking about your grand day. you'd go to him and say, hey, uh, did you forget? No, I didn't forget. I just forgave. And then that preacher would come preach, and he'd get up there, and he'd be sweating like he's dying of a heart attack. He probably was having one. He'd preach his message. And our pastor emeritus would get up in that pulpit next door and he'd take him up a love offering. And say, we need to pray for this man. We need to love his family. We need to put some money in his pocket. We need to take care of him. Meet the evil with good. That's tough. It's difficult. But that's the kind of generational stuff that if we'll embrace, God will take us to a level we can't even begin to understand the real reason you're stuck right where you are is because you refuse to forgive the one who's offended you and today's the day it's got to change remember jesus on the cross he's on the cross he's dying He is getting ready to be separated from God the Father, become the curse, become the sin, and he's going to cry out and give up the ghost. And what does he say? From the cross, the greatest injustice to ever take place. That the Son of God who was perfect would die and be tortured on my behalf. What an injustice. Instead of Jesus saying, angels come, Battalions of angels could have come that day on that hill in Jerusalem. God could have poured out the wrath on humanity and exploded this globe and still been a holy God. You realize that? Jesus never had to go to the cross, yet he obeyed the will of the Father and said, not my will, but thy be done. One of the last things he said in his earthly ministry As they have nailed him, he's getting ready to give up the ghost. They're playing games at his feet. They are mocking him on your behalf. It should have been me on that cross. It should have been you on that cross. But it wasn't. It was the Son of God. And instead of taking the easy way out, instead of going the path of least resistance, that holy Son of God said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And the response of the Roman soldiers and the Sadducees that were standing around were not to fall down and worship Him. Rather they played games at His feet and cast lots for His bloody clothes on your behalf. How can I not offer forgiveness to another Christian, another man, another woman in this community even if it hurt me? Imagine the pain and the suffering of your Savior. The real reason you can't move on, the real reason you're all locked up inside and can't enjoy the goodness of God is because you will not forgive. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want us to be really tender. Such a specific burden, I feel like God really wants to set someone free today. I feel like somebody in this room, you bound up, Your feet are planted firmly in your bitterness. And the hurt and the pain, no one is minimizing it. We're acknowledging it, but we want to get it fixed. We want it to be healed. The only way that happens is if you'll forgive. No one's looking around. No one's making a note of who's raising their hand. This is a moment between me as your pastor and God. But is there anyone here within the church family that could say, Pastor, there's something in my life that's caused me grief and strife. There's something in my life that's happened to me and I need to forgive someone. Pray that God will give me the grace and the mercy to forgive the offense. No one's gonna come to you, but how many would just raise your hand? I already see hands. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Hands literally all over the sanctuary. I'm not even gonna try to count. Dozens and dozens of hands. You can put them down. Dozens of hands all over the sanctuary. Well, here's what I know. No matter how hurt you are, no matter how grieved your heart is, no matter how much pain and pressure you feel, you can come do what the choir did in their song today and you can bring it to the cross, lay it at the feet of Jesus and forgive and walk out of this building different than the way that you came in Growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Let's pray, and then we're gonna stand all over the building. Here's my ask, everyone that raised their hand Would you make an effort today to come and pray? Don't stay in your seat. If you're able bodied, I want you to make that line in the sand. I want you to make that acknowledgement that today you wanna to give it to Jesus. I'm gonna pray now that God will give you the grace and the mercy and the strength to do that, that we're gonna stand. We're going to open the altars. Deacons, some of my ladies that are able to pray, I want you to be ready. If someone needs help praying, all they have to do is ask and we'll pray with them. Let's pray now, then we'll open the altars. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we must tell you. We must tell you. You already know, you already see, you already understand. Lord, you know the offenses that have taken place against the children of God in this room. You know, the pain, the hurt, the suffering, the years of pain and agony, and God, I can't fix it. Lord, there's no counselor, there's no medication, there's no drug that can fix it. Only forgiveness will fix it. God, I pray in Jesus' name for all of those that raise their hand, that there's something in their lives, God, that's causing them pain. Something that needs to be let go of. I pray in just a moment they'll have the strength and the courage to come and lay it at your feet. I want us to stand all over the building. Stand all over the building. All those hands that were raised, I want you to come. All those hands. There were dozens of hands. I want you to come. Come. Today's the day. We're gonna give it to the Lord. All those hands that were raised, I want you to step out. No one's looking around. No one's moving, making notes. We're all praying together. I want you to come. All those hands in the back, I want you to come. If you're able-bodied, we want to pray with you. We want to ask God to help you. Those that were there on that back row, I want you to come. We want to pray and give it to the Lord.